It was close to dusk when Morgan reached the cave where the others had disappeared. Before him, the tunnel gaped like the mouth of some great serpent. At his feet lay the bones of men and beasts, scattered about as though vomited from within. Most were bleached and bare, but some still bore the remnants of sinew and gristle. He picked up what looked to be a human rib and turned it in his hands, inspecting it, sniffing at it like a dog. It smelled of earth and rot and bore the impressions of sharp teeth. They'd been eaten, and not long ago. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Rogues in the House podcast. We are here today. We have Logan. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? And we have Matt. How are you doing? I am well, sir. And Logan, I'm very rude. I didn't say oh, no, I'm doing good. well. I'm doing well, too. So. Or with middle schoolers. I'm used to it. But you know, you know what? You know what? Today we have a special guest, don't we? We do. We have Chris Lights with us. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. Chris is a novelist, RPG writer, and assistant line manager for Modifius, specifically the Conan RPG. Is that right? Did I get that right? That is correct, oh, yes. good. I, I hate when I blow it in the first few minutes of a podcast. <laughs> but, yeah. but so it's far, so far I'm hanging it together, so that's good. We are going to have... Uh, the, you are our first guest, actually, which is pretty cool, right? I mean... Sort of it's cool yes. for us. Yeah, it's cool for I us. I'm honored. And I guess that's guest. pretty cool for you, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It's like Bill Murray on Letterman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just yeah, like that. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it is exactly like that. It is pretty much like that. I do like to think of myself as a Letterman or uh, or a Conan O'Brien. Uh, see what <laughs> I did there? Yep. Uh, uh, it was a matter whoa. of time. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did ruin the podcast at this point, so that's good. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me get his writer's room on the phone. Yeah. So, uh, so we're going to have some fun today. Um, we're going to we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things. Um, we're going to talk about um, your sword and sorcery projects, current and past, uh, and whatever whatever nuggets that you can give us, we are super excited to hear about. And I think that I also had missed that uh, you're working for Perilous Worlds as well now. Um, doing I some, am, yes. Yeah, doing some pastiche stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're going to be doing pastiche, and then we're also going to be doing original science fiction and fantasy novels. Awesome. The diverse bunch of voices. Very cool. So, yeah, oh, go ahead, Matt. Well, sorry, and for those who, who don't know, um, I mean, tell us, Chris, what Perilous Worlds actually is, because for me it's something... I, I had, as a, as a Conan and a Robert E. Howard fan, it's something that I'd been hoping would happen for quite some time. Perilous Worlds is essentially the return of Conan to the literary scene. So you're going to have Conan books, you'll have Baylet books, you'll have other characters, Shevitas maybe, that sort of thing. And then on top of that, it's a full-on science fiction fantasy imprint. So think of it like we're going for something like Tor. Probably not mm. quite that many books to start, but we are going to have a lot of books. Rad. So it's, it's going to be a full-on imprint. So you'll have all kinds of things coming out. The first six will primarily be Conan-related, and then there's two cult novels for the cult RPG. And then there's all kinds of stuff in the pipeline already that I cannot talk about. That's, that's K-U-L-T, cult, not cult, yes. for the record. Cult yeah. may make an appearance at some point, though. Hmm? Well, he ought to, I think, yeah? Yes. So cool. you, you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no, you know what? The, the, the best part about that is that we were talking earlier today about uh, how we have really cool homework for the show. So when when the new stories come out, we're going to have uh, actually a lot more homework, but still yeah. still really cool homework. So I'm looking yes. forward to it. It'll be a lot. Um, we're we're going to publish a lot of books. It'll probably be about 13 or 15 this year, and then maybe 20-plus next year, and then we'll see from there. I'm so going. I'm going to have to start to read faster. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so uh, before we really start to get in and start to pick your brain, we usually do our um, little mini segment of things that we've been kind of fumbling around with, uh, things that have caught our interest um, that are tangentially um, or directly related to sword and sorcery. I'm putting it on the table. I want to call the segment the Bizarre of the Bizarre, which is a, a Lieber reference. Uh, all in favor, say aye. I'm going to say aye. Aye. Oh, look at that. I, I will say aye. I was actually going to suggest something different, but yours is so much better. that. Uh, <laughs> well, wait, wait, now I want to hear what yeah, Let's was. hear it. Well, it, no, it's not, it's not <laughs> good. I'm just going to call it the, the points of interest because, you know, when you're playing like an RPG or perhaps uh, a yeah. video game, there's like points of right. interest. Yes. Um, but, but, I mean, bizarre of the bizarre is... It's, it's, yeah, it's more appropriate, I think. <laughs> All right, well, there we go. Motion carried. This is democracy at its best right here. Rogues in the house democracy. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? So <laughs> That means somebody gets their head cut off, I think. That, that is, <laughs> I think it was Matt on this one. Um, well, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'm the only Canadian here tonight, so I'm the first to go. I <laughs> Is that like a, the rule of the sea? Yeah. The Canadians get eaten first. Yeah. Well, they have the health care to come back, so you know. That's true. So. <laughs> true. We 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 have we have survived many decapitations in this country. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. it's a country of Highlanders. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah. So to to prove that I'm I am gracious in defeating you on in one on one combat of naming the segment. Um, why don't you go first in talking about what uh, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> and what what you've been doing? Okay, uh, you know what? Last couple times you guys sort of broke unwritten rules and mentioned a couple of things, so I'm going to do the same thing tonight because there's a few things uh, rattling around. One is a now I, I would like to keep this segment, as you say, um, sword and sorcery grounded or sword and sorcery adjacent topics because. I think a lot of our listeners are tuning in because this is a niche for sword and sorcery. So at first it might sound strange, but I watched this film called Mandy, uh, which coincidentally is my wife's name. Um, but it stars Nicolas Cage. You may have heard of this. Um, it's sort of a horror film, and that's what I was expecting. But when I started watching this thing, I realized it was... You could maybe make the argument that it is a bit of a... Uh, sword and sorcery horror film in disguise. Now, the reason I say that is because there's there's a couple of references uh, at the beginning, like the the uh, title character is reading a book that is clearly a sword and sorcery throwback. Back, it's got a wizard on there, and she reads a passage from it, and he's like in this molten uh, lava land. And he pulls this green gem out of a, you know, out of a pit, and you know, pretty standard fare, I suppose. 
So that was one piece. And then the other bit is there's these like goons who are sort of demonic. And then you've got your main hero who kind of gets geared up, armored up, and he actually creates like a totem weapon, like an axe. And then eventually he gets a chainsaw and there's a chainsaw fight. And I don't know. I, I would just, I highly recommend the film, even if it's, if you disagree with me and say, this is totally not sword and sorcery in any way. It is a trip. Uh, and I think it's, it is very deliberately a sort of acid trip film in that um, <laughs> the people who, who've kind of gone demonic have literally taken bad acid. But like the cinematography and the sort of synthwave brooding soundtrack, um, I don't know, man, it comes together in a big way. Like it kind of blew my mind. So uh, I recommend that film highly. Did anyone see it, by the way? No, but the second no. you mentioned it, I looked it up. And you're not the I only one to make that comparison. Yeah, okay, interesting. I did not look it up, and I I probably should have. But I very occasionally talk to the director on Twitter if you want me to ask him. I, I mean, yeah, I would actually love to know that because um, I can't believe that guy didn't have love for that sort of thing. I'm pretty sure he does. Yeah, and it's it's not even a case of like... You know, sometimes we come to sword and sorcery because they're adjacent to Lovecraft, but that's not even really what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing almost a a sort of, like a, he's not really a hero. I don't know, man. It's just, just check it out. The second thing I would bring up, and I know I'm eating up a lot of time, is uh, something that doesn't really need a lot of introduction, and that's the game, uh, the board game Gloomhaven. Um, obviously, it's hugely hyped. It's like number one on BGG. And uh, my gaming group, we purchased it a couple of months back and never got to it because it was four-player. And then eventually we just said, we got to try this. And we have. And man, it is awesome. It is a great game. I love it. Yeah, Alex, you've played it, yes? Yep. yep. Yeah, it's a, it is a deep dive. And um, I mean, total legacy game. You're literally putting stickers on things. You're Xing off places on the map. And I think at this point, like, where my gaming group, it's tough to get everyone to sort of uh, commit to being a DM. This game really does come as close as I can imagine to creating a cooperative DM-less RPG without actually role-playing. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's super thick, and, and the, uh, the tendrils of the plot, like, th mm. they, just go on for, they just go on and on. Yeah. Um, and I love, you know, it's, it's, for those of you who don't know, it really is, it's basically a dungeon crawl. Um, but every scenario is, um, you know, it's sort of that's like a, a choose your own adventure built around it. Like completing yeah. one scenario opens up three more that you can choose. Uh, and depending what you choose, the plot changes, you can hurt or help yourself. Right. Uh, it, it's just so thick. And other, other dungeon crawls that I've played, like Descent, for example, mm. um, is, is Descent's awesome. And I love that. Uh, but it is just not as deep as, as Gloomhaven is. No, and, th and those dungeon crawls typically are uh, sort of a, a game of attrition, right? Where you're, you have so much stamina and you have to manage it properly. But the way Gloomhaven does it, um, you know, you've got all those cards. You don't want to waste enough. You have to kind of save your, your bits to the end to survive. And, and the combat just feels excellent. Yes. Um, diceless. You just use cards with maneuvers, etc. Uh, anyways, my... my a big recommendation for the week on the gaming front is definitely Gloomhaven. 
One of our writers, Richard August, who's very good, works on Conan. He plays that like regularly over in the UK. He raves about it. You, you literally can play that game for a year and not have that's, repeated it. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, it's 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 so thick. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's quite impressive. Um, so if if that sounds like something you would dig, uh, my understanding is that it kind of just stomps on everything else that has tried that. So. Who's next? Uh, oh, I get to turn it over to uh, ooh, Logan. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, cool. So as we all know, um, Marvel's Conan came out, and I'm not going to talk about that. But the writer, his name is Jason Aaron, and I think I talked maybe on our Facebook a little bit. I'm not really – I'm new to comics. This is the first time I've picked up a comic from – Stage one. Um, I like the idea of comics, but it's never been something that I've been super into. I got really into it, and I found uh, Alex actually got me onto the Comixology app, and I had a 30-day free trial, and I heard that Jason Aaron wrote a really good story arc for Thor, who's one of my favorite MCU characters, is my favorite MCU character. So I picked it up because I wanted to see you know, similarities between how he wrote Conan and Thor. And actually, there's quite a bit of similarities. Um, there's Vikings and Blood. And yeah, you've got some crazy MCU, like almost Guardians of the Galaxy sci-fi stuff going on. But like the framing device of like starting at one point then flashing back is like exactly the same. I kind of wonder if that's like his shtick. I don't know, because I'm just exploring comics for the first time. Um, the specific... Two runs that I read is God Butcher and God Bomb. And they're older, um, but it's basically this alien entity goes around and kills MCU's gods. Or, I mean, the Marvel gods. And Thor is trying to figure out what is killing the gods. Um, and it's really cool. Um, really bloody, action-packed. Um, if you don't necessarily like comics like me but like sword and sorcery i think it's pretty pretty up your alley it's it's cool and action-packed um and i also wanted to we, we never really talk about or i guess we've never really talked about age of conan the mmo um it's still kicking it's been around for over 10 years now and they're still regularly doing like events and right now, they just raised the level cap for their PvP event, Saga of Blood, to level 80. And they have, like, a live leaderboard, which isn't up my alley. I'm not a PvP guy. <laughs> um, but that is cool. And if you like Conan, I really liked Age of Conan. It is free to play. You can subscribe for benefits. Um, but you might want to go back and check that out. It runs on my crappy laptop. So it can probably run on someone's good computer way better than mine. So... Those are my couple things. I have a Mac, so it can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a common story with those Macs. I know it is. <laughs> what do you do what your gaming you? on, then? Um, my Mac. Oh, all right. Fair <laughs> enough. I don't do a ton of uh, online gaming. Well, with online gaming, I think the whole um, abandon all hope ye who enter here is an applicable term if you... You go to the wilds of online gaming. Yeah. When yes. Logan's bringing up like, the, the PvP thing, for me it attracts a certain community that I'm sure if, if you get a, a good uh, 
you find a good community, it's great, but like it just seems to be punctuated by a particular type of gamer that <laughs> I yes. tend to run away from. Yeah, so it's you know? for sure. My wife yeah. has never liked me less than when I was PvPing very hard uh, in World of Warcraft. <laughs> like I was, I was playing Arena like really, really hard for a while there. And she didn't like any of my World of Warcraft days, but definitely like the swearing and the anger that I had. I was just like always, even when I wasn't playing, yeah. I was in a bad mood. <laughs> so oh, that's a plug for World of Warcraft. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's two episodes in a row. Counter Strike is a bit like that too. Yes, yes, Counter Strike is definitely like that. The videos I see, like people are just losing their minds. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it. So speaking of video games, I'll get. In, I'm going to segue into mine. So uh, one of my most favorite games it's a small game uh the i think it was 2014 or 2015 um arrowhead studios released uh or uh, a new version or a new uh remake of gauntlet and i played it when it came out um i beat it when it came out sort of it's really hard at the end um and, so hard. and then it went on sale and i was like rogues Meaning Logan and Matt, you have to get this. It's five dollars, and we need to spend some time playing this. It's been hit or miss getting Matt so far. He's he sat he sat with us one time so far, but I Logan and I, I, uh, <laughs> but you did you did you were there. I did, and, and you know what, man, I really dug it. Like it it felt it did not feel like a I mean perhaps a budget game in terms of its scope of like not having a thousand different game modes. Yeah, uh, but. But it, it felt good, and the animations were cool, the characters were cool. Um, so I'm not I, – I will join you again. It's just been a – Oh, I know. I get it. Patchy schedule. Yep. Was Gauntlet popular in Canada the way it was in America? <sighs> I don't – like, are you talking like the OG Gauntlet? I'm talking the OG where you had to go to an arcade, <laughs> and every two that. seconds, wizard needs food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's slightly before – for my time, like I'm 36, I was born in 82. Uh, yeah, so you would have um, missed. The arcades are, yeah, the arcades I remember more so Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, that yeah. sweet Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Yeah, um, everybody loved that. God, that was good. Um, so I, I can't say. I remember, I'm pretty sure I played it on Atari once, maybe Commodore 64 way, way back. I'm um, sure there was an adaptation. There's NES yeah. too. There's NES. Um, I remember it in the arcade because I'm probably yeah. I got a few years on you. So yeah. Uh, and man, that was one of my earliest influences. I just thought it was the coolest thing. It was a great game. It was a quarter eater. And then when the yeah right, it was a quarter eater. Totally was. <laughs> there was really no end to it. I mean, maybe level no. 100, but not like I ever saw it. No, 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 no. Um, so and and this this one has an endless mode as well. So Logan and I have been slowly pushing. Uh, to try to get higher and higher. And Logan, I'll tell you what, guess what I hit today? No, you didn't. I did. I hit floor 37. Oh my god! By yourself? <laughs> no. Oh my god! No, I actually went online and I like. Okay. I, I did some of it. I, I inched a little bit on my own, uh, yeah. and then a few Ooh. people joined, and I it was it tended it just wound up being a good group, and I got there. So we can teleport there. And how do you make that game harder? How do you think they would make that game harder? Oh man. I, I don't know. It's so hard already. It's all dark. <laughs> oh, no. They say, like, that one level? Yeah, yeah, only they're all like that. And there's, like, you know, the, the mini-bosses are in there and all that. God. So, and well, level 30, floor 37 is not even that high. There's people, if you check the internet, there are people that have hit 
uh, level like 9,000 floor, 9,000, something insane. Like they just like, I mean, I don't even get it. Yeah. If they had done that in the 80s, they could have bought a house. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, and how this ties in is there is a uh, fur diaper wearing spitting image of of Conan, essentially in this, called Thor in this. Uh, and the, the Valkyrie, who is actually uh, heavily armored. Um, and then we have the Hycranian Archer, otherwise known as the Elf in the game. But I, we, it, when we play, we refer to it as the he's, Hycranian. He's not an Elf when yeah. we play. <laughs> <laughs> and the Wizard that is not a Wizard, but a Sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> and we're very specific about these terms when we yeah. play. <laughs> So that's that's what I've been doing. I've been putting way too much time into that. We've been doing a lot of that. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of that. Yeah, and, and it, it would seem that Alex uh, cheated on you, Logan. And uh, yeah, I feel a little betrayed. Sorry, man. I, that's I, okay. I wanted I to I wanted to see if I could get it, and I, I had yeah. a little bit of time today, so you know. It is an addictive game. I just think Alex gives into addictions a little more because we'll be sitting here. It's like midnight for him. He's like, one more run. Itch, itch, itch. <laughs> one more run. <laughs> I mean, okay. we're so close. Black Lotus, sir. <laughs> yeah. So close. So, uh, uh, Chris, um, what uh, what have you been looking into the uh, the past couple of weeks or days, or what's 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 got your attention a lot right of Conan now? Conan for the last couple of years. Oh, nice. Um, we've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline coming out from Odysseus. We're currently finishing Wave Two. Wave Three should follow shortly thereafter. So I have been writing, editing, and uh, collecting art from the artists for that. Then I'm also working with Perilous Worlds, which is a new sci-fi fantasy imprint, which is going to start by bringing Conan back to the world of literature where he began. And we're also going to have some game books for that. They'll be sort of like the old Lone Wolf. I just got done designing a system for that. And then we're going to launch with, I think, two Hawking novels. If you know John C. Hawking, mm-hmm. he did uh, the Emerald Lotus. Yeah, the Emerald Lotus. And then he's got a new one called The Living Plague, which will be coming out. Which is, is The Living Plague the one that is currently running in the Conan Barbarian? No, like a different. prequel to it? Yeah, well, yeah, okay. So it's like it would go Emerald Lotus. Then the Marvel uh, novella, right. yes. and then okay, because I was slightly confused by that because it, I actually just finished reading Emerald Lotus, and uh, it picks up like pretty much right after uh, those events, which is kind of uh, interesting for me because I mean, what are the odds of me actually just finishing that and then picking up the comic and having a sequel after all those years? Eh, good times. Yeah, <laughs> imagine him writing it after all those years. Yeah, seriously. What did I have Conan do back in '95? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd have to reread that. So there hasn't really been I, any Conan fiction since Mongoose did their. What was it? I guess it was a sort of. It was Conan. It was the world of Conan, but there was no Conan in those novels, is what I recall. The Age of Conan novels. Um, yeah, that's the yeah one the four trilogies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Logan, you read some of those, didn't I you? I read all of them. I enjoyed them all thoroughly, although the one in Stygia is the lesser of the four. Noted. Yeah. I like that idea, though. The idea, too, though. We, we talked about that, having age of, uh, you know, that age, but not necessarily with Conan. I mean, it's definitely yeah. awesome. We're definitely going to have that. Yeah. Uh, you're going to so, have Baylet. You're going to have Shevatas, I think, others. That's cool. That's really that's, good. Yeah. 
good yeah, I mean, a I good thief that. tale. Who I'd be I'd be yeah. all up for where that. Where he doesn't where he doesn't die in the first yeah. Yeah. Yes. spoiler yeah. chapter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like how you guys are calling him Shevatas. I've I've always just called him Shevatas. That's what I've called him too. It's new to me. Really? I don't know. I've yeah. I've always gone with Shevatas. Yeah, that's what I've heard, but. Huh. All right. Somebody ask, will correct that. Judging. It Jeff sounds... Shanks would know. Yeah, yeah Shanks yes, would yes. know. Somewhere Fritz Lieber is rolling around as well, being like, see, I'm not the only <laughs> <Yes>. one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so should we segue then, um, since we brought up the Conan the Barbarian comic, I know we have all read the first oh two issues. Are we going to talk about it? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's anyway. hold on. Let's put in, uh, a date uh, a date stamp on this. So we are recording this on what is today's date? Uh, the sixteenth January sixteenth, twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah, on the day that issue two came out. So this will get yeah. aired uh, probably like a month down the road. So this should be hopefully uh, relatively old news by that this point. So I think we'll be okay to talk spoilers, but yeah. we're gonna say spoiler alert anyway, just in case. So we're good with the Star Trek Conan crossover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with that, the, Conan, Conan on decade. Co yeah. Conan is forced to learn all of the Klingon language. Yeah, beam me up, Shevatas. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> Conan is very adept at languages, so I don't think it would take him yeah. long. Yeah, be okay. Oh, you're right. He'd you're probably right. get along with Klingons. Oh, he would get along with Worf famously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I he would fight him. This conversation. Well, because that's how you get along with the Klingon is you fight them. True, 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 true. Okay. Is that a I new did... Perilous Worlds uh, book, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not going to pitch that. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so the comics, though. All right, so issues one and two. Uh, we'll start with thoughts. I don't know. You guys want? You guys take it away, and I'll, I'll chime in as we go. Man. Um, it's good. Matt, go ahead. You want me, uh, well, I can start. Yeah. And actually, um, I'll just say right out of the gate, when I first read it, I popped on uh, Conan RPG Group, and I was fairly uh, overzealous to, to maybe stuff it in people's faces that, it wasn't totally ruined by SJWisms and political <laughs> correctness, and uh, you know, a couple of people called me out as it being a little on it being a little uh, pompous or harsh uh, how I said it, and I would actually even agree. It was a little. Uh, it was a little. Wrote. I never said it, but it was a little. <laughs> it was. It definitely was. I'm not saying it wasn't. I got your but, back. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know. I'm, I frequent a lot of those groups online, and I'm also a moderator, so I saw it so many times. And, I mean, I'm a judgmental fellow uh, to an extent as well, but, like, when you haven't even read the thing yet, it's like, just give it a second. And, and I also felt like, why would anybody want this character just to, quote-unquote, neuter that character? I just don't, I don't see any smart business person at all who would do that. So it, yeah. it, it was given the benefit of the doubt for me. And so when I read it, um, I realized none of that was there. But also, I felt like it's doing pastiche very well. And the way you do pastiche well with Conan is you respect Robert E. Howard and the themes, and you do something a little different. So for, for I think for a lot of people, uh, those who maybe voiced not liking it, um, which I think most overwhelmingly did, but for those who didn't, I think they're... They want uh, Dark Horse again. But for me, 
Dark Horse did a really great job on a lot of the pastiches, or sorry, not on the pastiches, but on the actual adaptations. Right. Um, and we have seen those, and, and I think we got some of the best ones. So for me, I was kind of primed up for good pastiche anyways. So yeah, I guess I approached it with an open mind, and I was, I was overall quite happy with what I saw. I liked it a lot. I thought that uh, Aaron did an excellent job writing. The art is also great. Um, I did not want to see uh, revisits to, you know, the third and fourth and fifth adaptation in comics of one of the Howard stories. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're yeah. out there. They're, they were, they've been done well several yeah. times. I don't think we need to see them straight at, adapted again. I like the multiple timelines because it, it allows you to get that feeling of Conan's entire career Mm-hmm. from beginning to end without actually having to read 275 comics or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was very well done. I love the episodic nature of it. Agreed. I mean, I yes. think that's, and that's what's kind of what you were saying. Uh, it is very much in the spirit of Howard, I think. Yes. Um, and I mean, he's slaying giant snakes. So that's already pretty awesome right. in my book. Like it really, lots of giant snakes. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hitting right on the epitome of what I would say sword and sorcery is. Are you killing some giant serpent in some sort of way? <laughs> then if you are, you've, you've at least checked that box. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Logan, uh, you and I, well, I think we all, I had conversations with all of you today about this. The idea, like, how much we liked the foreshadowing, too, uh, that was yes. present in episode two. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your cage might be jeweled. Yes. Yes. Oh, I just, I, I died. That was that fantastic. Was, that was an excellent line. Yeah. yeah. But see, there again, I think one of the best things that Aaron's doing, and we'd mentioned this a little earlier, is that he's able to make an episodic comic within the framework of an actual serial, which is mm. very hard to do. Yeah. yeah. Anybody that saw Lost knows how hard that is to do. <laughs> and, you know, so, so you have these two issues, and they do stand on their own, but they also have an overarching plot. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that to me was impressive because I have not seen that done well in some while. Yeah, and I, I think for me too, like, I, I liked the first issue. I thought it was promising. Um, but reading issue two where, like, it didn't connect that thread until the very end. Right. Um, yeah. But it didn't feel jarring to me uh, for whatever no. reason. Like I, I was like, "Oh yeah, we're in we're in Pictland, right? We're beyond the Black River here." And um, I, yeah, I was I was really digging that. And then the end, of course, just sort of uh, you know spiced me up for for what was to come next. Yeah, where he laid uh, the seeds in issue one, I think, so that we knew vaguely where we were going to see the flash forwards, if you want to call them. Yeah. And that yeah. was a very smart move on his part because I think that is what made it not jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I did really like seeing the twins at the end. Like, they're not mentioned at all. Conan yes. during issue two has clearly forgotten all about his encounter with the Crimson Witch from right. episode one. Right. And they're just, but they've been watching him the whole time. Right. And like that kind of adds like an extra air of menace to it which i i really i really dug definitely yes plus now we know they don't age so. right yes right good point yes. ageless children are yes. always interesting yeah i had to double check that because i was for a second i was like wait when you first saw them wasn't he a king dispatching wounded men on the battlefield and they showed up mm-hmm. yeah right? so for a second i i had to kind of check my brain uh but... i like what aaron also did with the blood where conan's blood is 
somehow contains power in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty I think cool. it's very good. I don't know that Howard ever explicitly stated that certain sacrifices were more potent, but... You, you don't remember where Howard did the passage about Conan having a high mitochlorine count? No, <laughs> I missed that. No. Oh, my God. No, I blocked that out, I think. Just, just as in Star Wars, that yeah. never happened. <laughs> well, yeah, I have talked a couple times about, well, specifically Black Colossus, I'm of the opinion, at least at some points in Conan's life, there is a literal, like, Mitra has chosen him for something. Yeah. Which could yeah, be argued one way or the other, and I think that's the, the mystique of that particular setup in that story. But I, 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 can, I can take what the comic has done with his blood being powerful and connect it to something, so I'm not super bothered by the comic bookiness of it. How about, to the um, tickling the Howard theme of... Uh, the the civilized versus oh, yes. the savage, yes. yeah, yeah, like in issue two, well really, really well done, and I, I, I just ate it up. And then of course, you know, as as they always, as Howard always does, and as they do here, the the no the concept of the noble savage, right? Like they really yeah. being the the hero and and the one that you want to emulate. And then when he gets back into civil quote unquote civilization, uh, you know, he's he's disgusted again. Right. Yes. What got me? And that's something we haven't seen a lot of, I don't think, in Conan adaptations. Yeah, agreed. Is that idea that that Conan, when he does go back to civilization, he doesn't necessarily like it. I think. I mean, Howard left that open certainly for other people to explore, but it was rarely picked up on. Certainly in the Marvel series, I don't think it was much. Right. And I I wanted to. uh, One thing that stood out to me too is. Like the line where he's saying, uh, "Fight like a picked." Right. So at first, that kind of struck me as weird. I was like, ah, I don't know, man. They're sort of his mortal enemy growing up on, you know, on in Samaria where there would be a border. Right. And so, so at first, I was a little like, I, I, I had my guard up about it. But then I, I reflected on the fact that wherever Conan goes, he, he integrates and yes. conquers to an extent anyway. So it doesn't matter right. what, what kingdom, what civilization. No, he's no, in. he's always Conan. Yeah. Yeah. And he always, yeah. he always manages to thrive. So there's no reason to think that Picts are such like a, you know, uh, a culture that, that are just so inherently evil and savage that he couldn't like uh, that just wouldn't, that wouldn't stand even with, with Howard's thinking. Right. No. right. This Especially goes... you compare it to other Howard um, mythos, like, you know, Bran McMorn and, and Cull, right? Yeah, that goes back to a conversation that uh, Logan, you and I were having uh, about like, you know, Stygia being an evil country, but obviously like the goat herder is like not necessarily evil. It's just part of the country. Yeah, (laughs) because like from Conan's perspective and the perspective of like all Hyborian nations, Stygia is evil, but that's from their perspective. Right. From the citizens of Stygia, Hyborian people are probably evil, but we're only seeing it through the eyes of the protagonist that sides with the Hyborian countries in general. Yes. Yeah. Which Might was thinking about understood that nicely in, in this, where yeah. the pick tells him, you know, they're going to use you until they have no need of you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Even if they put you in a jeweled cage. Yeah. And, like, we all know that Conan was going to go back. We knew it. Like, we, we all knew it. But I was, like, I was hurt that he didn't accept it. I was like, Conan, stay, stay, stay. And then he walks away with his axe. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to regret this. It's, it re- I like the fact that he said he would never have a home unless he made it his own, 
with yeah, it, on his own with weapons. That yeah. that speaks to his character, yep. I think. Car his... Carve it with your own axe. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Logan, you also mentioned, and I agree with you. This it has um, sort of a, a western feel, and I yeah, I, like you know, I it's mean, like, like western schools. cinema, like yeah. Uh, it's Speaking definitely a western. The uh, the next book that's coming out, I think it'll be the next book, is Conan the Scout, and we've definitely got a western feel to that because oh, Howard, awesome. Howard, you know, really, really modeled, I think, those particular stories off of westerns. Yeah, sure. And and somewhere along the line, I think they got lost, definitely in in various adaptations and whatnot. So we've tried to come back to that. That's fantastic. Hopefully people will enjoy that. Yeah, for sure. So I guess perhaps we should move on uh, and, and uh, exploit Chris to his full extent so that he can talk about, um, you know, his work with Modiphius. Um, a, lot of our, a lot of our listeners we know we sort of nabbed from gaming groups, um, and I think they'd be pretty interested to hear about um, what Chris has done with Modiphius uh, and beyond. So I guess, uh, Chris, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your sword and sorcery projects. You know, you can get as as deep into your your employment over the past few years as you like. Um, yeah, let us know, like maybe how you got into it. Well, long ago, I was working for Gygax Magazine when Gygax Magazine existed briefly. I was going to do, I, I did one piece for them, and then I was going to do another piece, and that was going to be a first edition AD and D Conan adventure. And I had talked to Jay at cabinet and he said that was fine and that was cool and then Gygax folded and nothing became of that and then I started working with Modiphius and I was talking to Chris and he was going for the Conan license so we started talking about that and then I brought Jeff Shanks on because I knew he was the Conan expert and then of course he brought the other scholars on and it sort of evolved from there really uh, but from the get-go we were all firmly committed to making it gritty making it faithful to Howard bringing the weirdness in, and making it a fun game, obviously. And I think we've succeeded, hopefully. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a dream team that you guys have assembled. Like, I've, uh, you know, I started the Conan gaming group before, you know, either the Monolith game or the Modiphius game came out. I was just, you know, I kind of went back in time, grabbed the Mongoose game and started playing because I'd always wanted to, to run a Conan game. But when I saw these projects coming together and they were so steeped in Howard, <laughs> it's just like, I can't believe, uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm at the cusp. Uh, I'm watching all this happen. It's like watching and, uh, the Avengers assemble. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. What was interesting about it is there was really never any question of not doing it that way. I mean, they're in a couple of meetings, I think we were like, well, we could use all the pastiche, and it was just automatically, no, we're not going to do that. So everybody was on the same page, which was nice. Well, and also even, rare for a collaborative project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it needed to happen, right? Because there'd, yeah. been, there'd been various, uh, you know, attempts at it or different systems, but, uh, you know, it was definitely, it was time. It's been an excellent project to work on, and we're only not even halfway through what we have planned. So yeah. there's a lot more coming. That's incredible. There is a awesome. lot already. Uh, and yeah. I mean, even just the main source book is, is thick uh, and, uh, you know, chock full of, of more than I can wrap my head around. Uh, so it's pretty and awesome. the art. The, the art, art you oh, guys chose is 
just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, it yeah. We early on came game. up with a list of artists that we wanted to to try and go after. We got most of them, which yeah. was good. I, I, I kind of followed along with that process. Like I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm internet friends with Jeff Shanks and he right. and I used to admin a particular Howard group that we are no longer part of anymore. But like I could basically feel the joy radiating off of him when he got the gig to assemble the artist. I was just like, yes. damn you, that's awesome. But I mean, that that's a guy who, who did an excellent job and, you know, you really couldn't find someone somebody better to, no, to assemble uh, when I when when I was brought aboard the project the first thing I did is say let's bring Jeff on board because yeah. he's your go-to scholar also he's an actual archaeologist you know yeah, yeah. you cannot get more academically conan than that yeah <laughs> and uh so so Jeff came on board and everything started to come together then he brought yeah. on uh Patrice uh we have Deuce Richardson uh, you know, everybody that writes about Conan in any kind of academic way or analytical way, I think, is involved to some degree. Yeah, I saw I saw all that happen um, just being on the Moxtra group, uh, you know, being part of the various rooms on there and seeing all the people that were contributing. Yes, yeah. Know, for the limited, you know, I, I only wrote the the portion, well, the, the lion's share portion of one of the books, but, I mean, I was just happy to be able to, to see how that team functioned and all of the, you know, the people they brought aboard names that I, that I had seen floating around for a long time. And it just all seemed incredibly right. I think we were very point. fortunate to get everybody that we did. Yeah. You know, I mean, it could have easily not gone that way. And yeah. it shows, I, I mean, it became, it's a dream team putting out really, really high quality product. And, yeah, the and it's amount been, of passion that like exudes from the like the book itself yeah. is, yeah. and it's been a success. I mean, I think that it's yeah. Uh, you know, when you when you're talking about Conan and gaming, like that is in the conversation among all all the other good games. You know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I think too, uh, I have said this multiple times to people. Even if you're not a gamer and you have no intention to play a role playing game. That core book is a awesome resource just for Conan and Howard in general. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a lot, a lot yeah. poured into that. I really liked the like um, the little blurbs about like, what was it, Jack? Uh, he's another oh, Howard character. Sure one. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that, that just like little Easter eggs all throughout this book for Howard, and it just made my heart warm. Check out Wanderer when it comes out because there's actually like a story between Sure one and. Uh, Sailor Costigan. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Trading letters, and it, it tells this whole story that I wrote. That's cool. Yeah, that's rad. It's, I, that was the other thing that I like, too, is that we, you know, because Fred owns all of this, Fred Mountberg, he's the owner of Cabinet, we <laughs> are able to use all the Conan characters, you know, yeah. so we have access to all that. And Howard's work was all basically related. I mean, he, you know, he basically wrote everything within his own pseudo historical world. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you've got Kirwan has Kothamon's ring in a story. And yeah. that's just awesome. That's, yeah. yeah, I mean Howard, uh, you know, I think among the fan base he gets the credit, but I don't think everyone really realizes how much he is sort of an originator of the shared universe concept, right? Exactly. Yeah. I know, yeah. yeah. I mean he he's the original Marvel cinematic universe, but yeah, exactly. the movies. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And and it's uh, him and Lovecraft, really, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We, we always talk about Lovecraft, and I don't think in this case we give Howard his due in that regard. Agreed. No, mm-hmm. Howard is definitely, that is not something that comes up a lot in Howard conversations. And I think the reason probably is because it's become so common in fantasy to have that, and in mm-hmm. science fiction. People just assume, I mean, if you look at the tropes that Howard invented, like we were talking about earlier, the serpent cutting off serpent's heads. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, he started Howard that. the elephant. Is like right. a dungeon crawl. Exactly. Tower of the Elephant is, I mean, I hear people all the time talking about the influences of D and D and in or influences for D and D. And you look in the old books at all of the, I mean, the original handbooks. There was a list, you know, for further reading. The, it's like it's I can't Penn stress Penn, enough. Yeah. Like like the Conan stuff. Like Tower of the Elephant feels more D and D to me than Lord of the Rings in many ways. Oh, yeah. It was a bigger influence on uh, Gary. Than, I think, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that's pretty documented, actually. Um, yeah, you know. I, I know his sons, and I, I did. I, I had the privilege of meeting Gary once and talking to him for oh, many nice. hours. Wow. And, wow. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he was more in the Vancean, Liber, Howard vein, I think, than he was strictly... Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and even you know? I mean, even yeah. in the earlier editions, right? It was it seemed a lot uh, a lot more gritty, and a lot more yes. um, dun- well dungeon crawly, if if that's a word. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're really you know you're really moving, and then turn you got to pick where you're going to go left or right, you know that sort of thing. Yeah. I think Gygax is someone also who does not give enough credit for basically creating the kind of fantasy that almost every fantasy author, creator, showrunner inhabits today. Yeah, it's really, really, really based on D and D. Yeah, I was reading I mean, something he... the other day too, and um, uh, the Forgotten Realms, uh, like the earlier books. Um, I'm trying to remember the the, the first one. Uh, novels. Or... Yeah, the novels. Yeah. Um, Spellfire. Yeah, like, but they were they were sort of um, sword and sorcery ish themselves, and yeah. then eventually, you know, granted, you had um, a mix of you know, obviously dark elves and that that sort of thing, but, right. but they really had that that sort of personal tale, and then eventually it started to grow into a larger epic fantasy sort of feel. But I, but I think even those early ones in the eighties were very very rooted in sword and sorcery. They were they were much more than than they were than they say in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, there's there seems to be even now too a lot more whimsy and uh, this is gonna sound weird, but like a little more My Little Pony has somehow come into D and D and softened the edges a bit. That is that art. is true, I think. Yeah, yeah. and that's fine, right? Like, uh, I, I mean, I think D and D in many ways is, <laughs> dare I say, in the eye of the beholder. Um, uh, but, there it is. There it is. <laughs> that one, wow. But it wow. is, man. It's it's what you make of it, and I mean, the the sort of skin that you give it is going to be based on your own influences, right? Like you don't have to yes. hold up. Yes. You don't have to hold up the art from the fifth edition player's handbook and say this is the sort of vibe we're going for. You could hold up your Frazetta paintings, and it yeah you know, be the same right. thing. So that's a question that I have is um, like, so what is what in your opinion does the two D twenty mechanics offer uh, that other games don't? For me, it's a narrative flow of building tension, releasing tension, building tension, releasing tension, in which both the game master and the players have elements of control. And that, I think, is very pulp. I often think we cut it out of the book, but originally I had likened it to Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones goes from 
okay, he's got out of that, and now he's in this. And then he got out of that, and now he's in this. That's how pulp has always worked. And, and so what you're referring to is essentially like the doom mechanics, right? Yeah, the doom, exactly. Doom and fortune and, yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. momentum. Um, that, I think, gives you an inbuilt narrative skeleton that is procedurally generated at the table. And that's the way I've always looked at it. You know, some people consider it more metagamey, but for me, it's, it's a narrative tool, first and foremost, before anything else. And, and I like the way that you can... You know, you can press your luck. You can, I'm going to do this, and okay, but then the DM's going to get doom. And that feels like a Howard tale to me. That feels like yeah, Pulp Fiction, not Tarantino's, but, old, you know, real old Pulp Fiction, mm. where, you know, the hero's always just pressing his luck, and then something goes wrong, and then he gets out of it. I, get, I like that aspect of it. He'll get a piece of his hair ripped out. Uh, a right. piece of the scalp ripped out from a gray ape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. That's I reread that one recently and I'd forgotten that. Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, that had to hurt. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> any tale after that, he's he's Conan the Patchy. You know, he's got like, <laughs> right. one, one piece right. of hair is gone. That's why he <laughs> wears that horned helmet. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Did you just say Conan the Patchy? <laughs> I think I did. No one has ever. I, I'm willing to bet no one has ever uttered that. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm going to uh, back you up on that and say they haven't. That's an. It's. A, I heard that that's actually a source book that's coming out. Is that true? Conan yeah. 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 It's the one I'm writing. We've yeah. <laughs> not, not greenlit this book, but we're going wave five. Uh, that's what's coming out. <laughs> there is a wave five, actually. So. Yeah, Conan the Patch. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me, that's what I think. I think that's why two D twenty does Conan well is because you can play around with that flow of the narrative. Sure, and, and that's, I was just going to say, I think that that's something that um, a lot of other systems are trying to emulate as well. Um, and, yes, I have seen that, and maybe not as well. Uh, I know that we're talking about getting a game going, uh, and I'm actually sort of hacking some um, Doom and, and Momentum mechanics uh, because I'm not well-versed enough with 2D20 yet to run a game in it. Um, so we're going to go typical like D &D 5E rules. Uh, but right. I, but I'm trying to 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 take from from uh, from the Conan book to to, to add that because I love it. I really love that idea. Uh, but I just. You know, just not ready to run it on on uh, on 2D20 yet. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm of the mind that any role playing role book is just a set of tools that some designers give to the players to then make what they want with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I don't I am use with all you. the rules as written. That you know, I I don't think I've ever ran any game where I used all the rules as yeah. written. Well, um, have you ever run into a player who insists that you do? Yes, I, yes, oh. yes, yes. There's many of those, and it's. Uh. When it's you guys very were, frustrating. When you guys were testing this, right? Did yeah. You, you, you must have sat in on some some play games, some test games, right? Yes. Any any good stories? Um. Any good, was... any good sessions? Yeah. yeah how many I mean, skulls you know, have you cleaved? There was there was we had a lot of fun with the the red pit adventure when we were trying to figure out how combat worked, and there was a lot of everybody died. <laughs> and that wasn't supposed to, you know, like really quick, and that wasn't supposed to happen. And there, there was a lot of tweaking and stuff. We did a lot of, we did a lot of sessions that were not full sessions. It was, you know, 
here's a scene. Let's yeah. play this, see if it works, and then go back and adjust the rules. Sure, because you've got to mechanically test these things too. So it's not yeah. just about so, it's right, not just about having yeah. a story. <laughs> no, no, we were pretty confident that the narrative would come as long as we got the mechanics right. And most of that is down to Ben and Nathan, who really put in the most work on the mechanics. I mean, that's really their system. They took what Jay Little had built of 2D20 and completely revamped it for Conan. Sure. And now it's had several other iterations in Star Trek and John Carter. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just a total, it's, it's a flexible system. I mean, we, it goes from high crunch to very light. And I like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, like I, I was gonna say too. I, I really like the idea of the, the doom and the, uh, not uh, fortune, the uh, momentum. Momentum, yeah, yeah. Doom, doom and momentum. And I've heard some people complain that that's the part they, they don't like. Right. But for me, that's the part that I really do like. And you know, you can assign a label like metagaming all you want, but that actually doesn't really bother me because all gaming is meta in a way. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, I, that's, that's, I mean, I could go on a long philosophical diatribe about yeah. artifice <laughs> and narrative, but right. I won't. <laughs> I'll just say that game is in the title. Yeah, right. right. That's, that's exactly right. right. And uh, But that's the part that I really dug. I, I love any kind of player, um, you know, bringing the player into yes. sort of help with the narrative. That's something I really liked about uh, the the mongoose d20 game was the idea where you did foreshadowing right right and you you basically said all right this is the sort of vision i have for my character this is what i'm going to strive for dm work with me make it happen you know right. um uh, it really ups the collaborative storytelling aspect of rpgs and so so i really i dig that i think that the players that might may complain about something like that are the ones that are very very staunch about having quote unquote player agency all the time. I, yeah. I, I think, you know, even just let's go back to that Conan story. Uh, sorry, the, the Conan comic, right? Um, yeah. He gets knocked out, right? That's part of right. part yeah. of the story. And it sometimes it's sometimes it's okay to do that to the players too. Like it just right. happens because yeah. that's going to set up the scene narratively for something else. And the players right. that get angry about that are the ones that are like, well, I want to escape being knocked out. Uh, and then it's, I don't know, like I'm, I'm on the narrative side of things. I like to say, okay, well, that's not I am happen. too, but I'm a writer, so. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but even when I was, you know, when I was young and I was first gaming, I was always, I, I never let the rules get in the way of the story. You know, right. that was never, and and then Gary's original intent for D&D was not to necessarily enforce all those rules. I mean, he didn't use half of the stuff that he wrote in the DMG in the player's handbook. Sure. You know, you know so, so I, it's there from the beginning. Th there was a, I, I actually read his quotes, his, his quote about rules lawyers allowed to a player of mine recently, and it was a bad scene, man. I was, <laughs> was kind of hanging on to it because this is one other guy I've, I've gamed with since I was a kid. And like, you know, there's, there's, and to go back for a second, I think the issue some people were having with 2D20 is they were they were thinking it creates a contentious situation between the GM and the players. Right. And, and in my opinion, that's only if you sort of let it, right? Yeah, if everyone right. you got to let it make you mad or whatever. Yeah. Right. If everyone at the table is a reasonable human being, yeah. it, it's not going to happen. And, and Chris, where you said, too, it's like 
but I'm a storyteller. So, and I feel the same way. It's like, I'm trying to create a cool story that will be memorable. And, and, and to Alex's point, if you all get knocked out at a certain point, it's not that I'm going to take all your gear and ruin you. It's that it's cool. Right. It's for a narrative hook, right? Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, to... I understand that some gamers don't want that, and that's fine. And sure. then don't use that mechanic or use a different system or whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, there's plenty of room for all kinds of gaming. I think right. the issue that I have is that some gamers seem to think that each set of rules should do exactly what they want specifically as if it was designed specifically for them. And it's like, you know we have to sell more than one of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's and I think that gets lost in the D&D uh, setting as well is they have they they yeah, one size fits many, right? And yes. and everyone says all these rules apply. No, you don't have to apply them all all the time. And I think you were saying that too about 2D20. You don't necessarily apply them no. all. No, you no, no. Pick no. and choose what you like, but there are some yes. people that have it in their head that it's in the book, so we have to include every last thing, every race, every... There's game. always those players. There's always those players. There's a thread yeah. right now on RPG Net, I think, about that, saying that I don't like it if rules are guidelines. They need to be rules. Well, you know, okay. So play with those players and, and that kind of DM. But for me, it's not chess. It's not tennis. It's it's in collaborative storytelling. Yeah, go play a I war game. Go, go play yeah. a war game if you want rules. I enjoy I enjoy war games, yeah. but I don't expect them to be like role playing games. You what, know? what war games do you play? Just out of curiosity. Uh, well, let's see. I play a lot of miniatures games. A lot of skirmish. Um, like what? Uh, Pulp Alley. Is yeah, one that's a great one. one. I love that one. I love. Yeah. Um, I love Paul Valley, uh, Frostgrave. Frostgrave's and, great. Uh, his new one, Rangers of Shadow Deep. Yes, that one. My friend and I are playing through that right now. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I haven't I haven't got the rules yet for that, but I'm dying. To that's get good. Yeah. That's definitely worth picking up. Um, I used to play a lot of Warhammer. Um, expensive. Back in the day. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly expensive. Yeah, that that was part of the problem with Warhammer. Um, and then I, I play some of the you know hex and shit games like lock and load stuff oh nice you know nice. yeah way back as a kid i was very into the military probably way too much for a child <laughs> a little historicals here and there for you um yeah world war Two mostly yeah yeah bolt action usually 20th century or ancient mm -hmm. uh, the stuff and then i never got into the napoleonics at all right i at some point i keep telling myself i'm going to paint up an ancient uh 15 millimeter army uh, yeah, well, but then I, that that just means that I have to paint up two because I'm going to need to have two in order to play. With exactly, anybody. exactly. <laughs> I don't know where you guys find the time. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. That's why I, I keep telling I, myself I really that. I don't paint anymore. It's been a while. It's been quite some time since I painted, just because of time. Really. Yeah, it, I, I've pretty much stopped painting as well, but I have derailed this entirely. So. <laughs> yeah, way to go, Alex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for tickling my fantasy on the on the war game thing. Sword and bolt. I'm just gonna put some more doom in the cup here. For Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got one last RPG question for you. So if, yes. if you are um, running a session yourself, yes. What what's gonna make a good sword and sorcery session in in your opinion? Uh, weirdness. There has to be that element of weirdness, I think. And that is really key for me, especially for Howard. There was something in Howard that was that you saw in early D&D where there was that, that pseudo-technology that's kind of magic, kind of not. You see it in Zuthal of the Dusk. You see it in Tower of the Elephant. 
yeah. that I think element is key. And then all the pulp tropes on top of that. Uh, it has to feel like a roller coaster. It has to feel you know, ups and downs. And, and it, if you're if you have a flat session, I don't think it's a great example of sword and sorcery. Right. You know. I whereas think... with D and D, you could have a flat session and you're just planning to do whatever next time. But in a in a sword and sorcery context, you know that the, the planning parts. Howard didn't write about those for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to get into that. Um, and I, so I think, I think the weird and the, the propulsive narrative, you have to feel like you're compelled to turn pages or get to the next scene or figure out why, you know, the evil sorcerer picked this particular victim. And, you know, just, just the, I really like Howard's embrace of the strange. And somewhere along the line in fantasy, they think that got lost, largely. Yeah, and fantasy got codified into a certain kind of magic, a certain kind of storytelling, a certain kind of epicness, and, and the, the weird just got lost. The weird became the mundane in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, the weird became the mundane, and they never, they never really recaptured that. For me, I mean, maybe some of the new weird fiction, but that's a whole separate issue. Yeah. And uh, that's, that, for me, is one of Howard's, I think, hallmarks that, I want to see more of than anything related to Howard, whether it be a game or a book or a movie or what have you. Now, do you think when you say um, the weird, right, do you think that it's partially the player's responsibility to accept that the weird is like you, you sort of have to make that um, distinction that what you see in sword and sorcery that is quote unquote weird is not necessarily like new and original weird. It's probably a trope, right? Right. And you're gonna, you have to react to it as though it's as as it's the player's responsibility to react to it it's as though it is truly weird and new, right? Right. I think part of that is creating a baseline in the rest of your adventure where it's not weird. I mean, Howard really did that well. If you look at almost all of his stories, there's a baseline where that could be historical fiction for most of the yeah. tale, mm -hmm. and then the weird comes in, and it's really weird, you know. I mean, especially for the 30s. Now, yes, we were inured to it to a large degree. Right. But if you create that baseline and you throw it in, it's it's like seasoning something. Sure. Whereas I think your your D and D, it's all in there. If you put all the spices in, right? And whatever. And sword and sorcery to me is a bit more like cyberpunk. It's it's you're you're peeling back the crazy space opera stuff, and you're getting to some hard yeah. human gritty people bleed, they die. You know, the undead that you see in sword and sorcery uh, are the result of, of something that's probably happened in front of you. Like they've been risen right. as opposed to exactly. in, in any other fantasy. You're just sort of walking in the backyard and hope oh, there's, right. there's some more yeah, undead. And, and that's that's cool for D&D. &D, and I enjoy that when I play D&D, &D, but I don't want that in sword and sorcery. Sword and sorcery, you have to you have to make it. I mean, oddly, you have to make it feel more realistic, even though yeah. it's not, you know. Right. There's, I, I think that was a, a key element in both Howard and Lovecraft and, and a lot of the guys that did well in the early pulp magazines was they took realism and they added some weirdness, but they didn't go too far. I yeah. think that's something that you guys at Modiphius did really well, like reading through, what is it, Jeweled Thrones of the Earth. Yeah. There's so much variety in the adventures. I don't want to spoil any of them, but there's one that's got like technology in an Acheronian mansion and there's one that's got like a time traveling person yeah like, that's mine yeah 
Yeah, they're so... That's the kind of weird I like. Yeah, they're so weird and interesting, and maybe the concept of the time-traveling thing might not be the most original thing in the world, but it to the characters playing... Right, they've never like, encountered It's mind-blowing to them, and it's, it's right. done really well in your guys' book. Thank you. Yeah. We try and, you know, we try and keep it grounded as much as you can keep anything grounded. I think magic is a key aspect. If you look at any magic system, whether it be in a novel or uh, an RPG, you can basically tell where on the scale it's going to be fantasy-wise. You know, that's, that's one of your first adjustable levers is magic everywhere. Are there trains powered by magic, or is it this really weird, weird rare thing that corrupts you to your soul? Sure. You know, and, and between those two loci, that's where all of fantasy pretty much falls. And I think sword and sorcery falls on the lower end. Somebody, I was reading an article, I think it was one of the reviews of, of the Conan comic, they called it high fantasy. And some people in the comments said, well, this isn't high fantasy. And, you know, there was that whole mundane debate. But I think it, it, it is true that Howard didn't really write high fantasy. You know, there yeah. was, there's yeah. something very real about Conan in a way that I think other, many other fantasy characters lacked, at least for me growing up. And occasionally in a Howard story, you're going to have a weird elephant-like alien that flies to Earth on wings, <laughs> well, yeah. which yeah. which might on the surface feel a little high fantasy, but the story itself is not. It's yeah. gritty and it, it's dark and it's and, and it was tragic. I mean, you know, yes. yeah. that character's tragic. And, and and let's point out, he's the only one. <laughs> like it's right. not like there's another right. one of him anywhere. Right, it's not right. everywhere. Right. His race is dead, and I think. One of the things I love about Howard is his cyclical view of history. It's yeah. very close in line to, to Nietzsche for me. And I, I, I've tried to inject that into everything I've written for the Conan line because I think it's really important that civilization rises and then it falls. It rises and then it falls. And this is a pattern that's just going to keep happening and keep happening and keep happening. Which is part of how I, I would argue that John Milius actually did stick to Howard in a way with his Conan the Barbarian film. But that is an aside. I would agree with you. I don't think that the Milius film is un-Howardian. I, no. I, don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. It's not strictly following what Howard did, no. but I think it's very much in the spirit of Howard. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. And we will do a show on that, actually. One day. One day. Yeah, you should. That would be a good show. Too many, too many people that are Howard fans, I think, easily dismiss the Milius film. Well, that's how I got here when I was, gosh, 19. I discovered the Arnold film, and then here I am. Yeah. See, and that's the other thing, too, is I think a lot of people that are fans of Howard forget that, you know, Howard probably wouldn't have the popularity he does now without Frazetta and the Marvel comic, and the movie. Yeah. And, I yeah. mean, that's what carried this along for 80, almost 90 years now after his death, is that other people picked it up and stuck it in different mediums and did things with it. And you don't have to like all that, but I think some respect is due for, for that bringing it to your table. Definitely. Unless you happen to be, you know, like 100 years old and you were there for <laughs> reading weird tales. I, I ask myself that that a lot. Like I'm I'm a big Grey Mouser fan, in particular Grey yeah. Mouser. And I'm I'm like, how how is it that Conan got the treatment 
you know, like they got the good, the yeah, great movie is. and all that, and it just it just never really happened. It never happened over there. Uh, and that Oliver's has, a great writer. Yeah. I mean, on, a, on a pure sentence level, uh, one of the things I like about him and Howard is just the prose. And it is weird that that didn't happen. And, and, I don't know. It, it's, it's it, you know, it just, I guess, luck of the draw. It's one of those things. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's luck of the draw. Frazetta is why. It, it's yeah, Frazetta it's, and it's Arnold. Not a, yeah. yeah, if he had done a Fafford and Gray Mouser painting, you yeah. be still seeing it. Right. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. But the thing is, the thing is, with so much of whether it be publishing or any form of entertainment, once something catches on, they just try and do more of that. Yes, that's true. You know, because that's that's the path of least resistance. So yeah. when sword and sorcery of the Conan style became popular, you got like the gore books and you know <laughs> various, yeah, exactly various <laughs> other things, and. And I can see from a business perspective, certainly how that that's helpful, but it's not helpful to broaden the creative level of what people are going to be able to sample. Right. And you're yeah. seeing that now uh, with Middle Earth, with Amazon kind of making that that uh, that series as well. Like, it, you know, it did well in the theaters. Uh, they did what they yeah. did with it. They created a whole bunch of movies, some that didn't need to be made, but that's okay. Uh, and yeah, then, I agree. And now we're going to get and, a series, which is cool, too. Yeah, it's... It is, but I like. I like. There needs to be room in any creative medium for new things. Agree. Yes. And and if you don't get the new things, people do get tired of the old things eventually. And I think there's this misunderstood practice, especially in Hollywood, that that they give the people what they want. And no, what you do is you give a limited set of options, and the people select from that. You know, if they had more to select from they might actually like other things that's why you have sleeper films that's yeah. why that's probably why howard busted out i mean you know even if you just look at his prose was so much better than most of the guys writing in the pulps yeah i yeah. think a a alan moore has a good quote about that where he says if the audience knew what it wanted it wouldn't be the audience it would be the writer yes he's absolutely that, correct on that that's Solid. always yeah, that's always struck or sorry stuck with me because that's just the truth. I mean, even you think of something like Game of Thrones, there wasn't a Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. There were things that have had aspects of it, right. but they put that cocktail together, they served it up, and people were like, "Oh my God, this is what I want!" And now right. it's you know it's massive. And because we maybe haven't seen a lot of it yet, you're going to get those imitators. And I think some have tried, but also it's a hugely ambitious show with a massive price tag but yeah there's uh, not a lot of companies that could that's right that could right. produce that bankroll that bad boy but yeah. you know with, but uh, like with perilous worlds what we mm -hmm. want to do is is create new things bring new voices to the forefront and it'll you know say here let's try this and from a publishing standpoint you know that's a lot easier than Oh, I had to sink 250 million dollars into yeah. this movie and if it doesn't make 500 million dollars Nobody makes money. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's that's so I can see where Hollywood is risk averse. My contention is when that spills into literature, role playing, uh, video games. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where, where there's not chances being taken. Well, and when, when Hollywood does its best work, it's when it finds those, like, the best people for the job and lets them go wild. Yes. I mean, certainly there's been times where that hasn't gone in their favor but no we're talking about uh perilous worlds like when i was at gen con and i might have brought this up before but i was at the cabinet party uh 
because of my work with Monolith, presumably it was the why I got the invite. But I'm sitting there with um, Andrew Jones and Jason Durall and Fred Malmberg, and they're all sort of talking about their visions for what Perilous Worlds are going to be. And I'm just thinking of all the people that are involved here, and it just seems like, you know, they're they're picking people who have already sort of proven great interest in these projects, like even yes. Scott Scott Odin, who is doing um, some of the what is it, the Black past Starlight people. for Marvel? Yeah, he's doing the one that's the, no, the, that's uh, Hawking. Scott's gonna do the oh, one that's his okay. Savage Sword. Yeah, he's always comments on it on the Facebook page. He's like, "Have you read the pros? Yes, have you read the pros?" <laughs> he's doing that because well, because he wants to draw attention to the fact that the pros. Are yeah. comic and and how how cool and and novel. it is it's super uh, cool no, no pun intended I just haven't read it oh yeah <laughs> novel yeah 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 uh, but uh, yeah grown grown all you want but uh, <laughs> I mean it is that that's rad and the fact that they decided to put that in there is telling me that you're sort of bringing it back to the roots a little bit right like you're relaunching yes. Conan and you're also putting the pros in there because you have to assume that those people are going to come by the comic, which is part of what really an- annoys me a bit when people are like, eh, Marvel's going to ruin it, when it's like, <laughs> in fact, they're doing cool things that you should like because you read books. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? They're I mean, trying really hard to get your money, so give it to them. Yeah, or or, or, or don't. I mean, it's totally it, – it is yeah, up to you. I, I'm, yeah. I just feel like I'm on the front lines of this discourse sometimes, so I mean, there's I don't a whole and... new thing in fandom that is completely reflexive and reactionary. Yeah, where yeah. it's the content isn't even out, let alone consumed before it's judged, right? And categorized, and it's that is problematic. I think that's and a I'm certain sure... age group. I really feel like that's yes, a certain age. Group. I, I I think it is. Don't you yeah, dare I... say millennial, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say it's necessarily millennial. No, I think it's more disgruntled old dudes. Yeah, grognards. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, again, the consumer is the one who spends the money, and they may ultimately decide. And I'm not trying to like stamp on all these opinions. It's just as I say, I see it all the time as a mod, so I get a little, you know, I get a little sensitive, uh, worn. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not honestly trying to like uh, shut everyone down, but sometimes my opinion erupts a little bit. You know? <laughs> I think justifiably so. I mean, you know, yeah, it's people are there to enjoy and have fun, and when other people are insulting vast, you know, groups of people, that's a problem. Well, that's the thing. These a lot of these people have poured their time and passion into these projects too, and uh, I mean, I, I have definitely I'm a hypocrite in the sense that I have spattered off about things I don't like the idea of, you know completely insensitive to the creator who's doing it and may somehow see my comment, but I don't know. I just, I guess I'm getting older and maybe realizing that we should give things more of a chance. Well, as a creator, you throw yourself into that pit. So I think think it's totally legitimate for, you know, for fans to come out and say, I don't like what the creator did or whatever. But when they start ascribing all these other political agendas and bringing in, groups of people that are marginalized and, and trying to insult them. That's just terrible. That's... Yeah, it's not it's not constructive. And I, and I guess the, the other piece is that, look, finally we're seeing, uh, you know, if we're seeing movement on certain projects we've always wanted to see, and then before it even gets a chance to come out of the gate, you're blasting it. 
it's like I don't know, man. That makes the artists and the creators and the publishers' journey just a little, I don't know, soured. I guess it, it does, and it it also creates a temptation, sometimes a directive, depending on how much money is at stake, to yeah. then bend it to the will that yeah. of people that are complaining, and then you get then you get a fiction by committee, and yeah. you don't want that because it never never works. It's never yeah. interesting. And on the other side of it, we get 14 Transformers movies, even though they're terrible, <laughs> because people have gone to see them. Listen, so, right. like, listen, the creators put themselves out there, Matt. You yeah, can't I say know, that I it's terrible. No. Okay, nobody, should feel, he, nobody should feel bad for Michael Bay. <laughs> He's going to cry himself to sleep after he listens to this. He, he will. He will. We're sorry. <laughs> We're sorry, Michael. probably bought the moon by now. He's <laughs> Michael. Yeah, he's all right. Michael, all we're right. sorry. <laughs> so I want to I want to um, pull it back here. So let, let's um, let's talk a little bit more about your writing. Did you do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite child? Author, you mean? No, favorite child of what you've written. Oh, oh, um, I was like, that's a weird question. Yeah, do you have a favorite child? Yeah. Right? <laughs> do you have children? I don't know. <laughs> uh, for Conan, uh, I think probably Wander is my favorite. For um, other things, I did a Dust crossover that I really liked. Uh, it was called Secrets of the Dust. It was Dust and Cthulhu took place in the Dreamlands. I enjoyed that. Um, I just finished Over the Edge 3 with Jonathan Tweet. I'm very proud of that. And I would also say Unknown Armies and some things hopefully coming out from other companies that I can't talk about yet. But that's, those are my favorites. My favorite writer... Of all, it's William Gibson. He's he's like my man. Neuromancer. I am a fanboy for William Gibson and for Indiana Jones. Like hardcore. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, Logan, you love Indiana Jones. I yeah? do. I, I adore Indiana Jones. He's the best. Yes. All right. You I'm... must recognize that that's the best film ever made in the history of all possible universes. I I even, like, I know a lot of people hate it, but I, I do still like Indiana Jones 4. Um, I has, did not hate it. I, you know, I think, oh, re again, that, I think that was one of those things where the fans were ready to react that way. Wait, yeah. you're talking there, about there the, the crystal skull? Cringeworthy. You're talking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, yeah, there's, there's problems with it, for sure. It's not a good film, but it's... Period. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I really hope they do Indy Five and do it justice and wrap it up. And the, it was and good then, that that Indiana Jones was in the title. I think that was that was a that was a positive was a part about that. You know, I I. I I actually love. I I don't mind Temple of Doom. I think that that one is. If you're Nor gonna, do I. If you're going to yeah, pick an yeah. SNS uh, indie indie, that's probably the SNS indie. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. then I, of course, um, one and three are amazing. Yes. Uh, but four is kind of is, no. Four they lost the uh, indie didn't feel like indie in four. Yeah. 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 yeah there's problems. Um, I just really have a. I, I'm a sucker for the jungle setting. Um, I like the done very well. Aztec, was, Maya, yeah. thing. Yeah, I didn't mind the aliens. I didn't. You know. the, the alien part didn't bother me. It was. I think it just the the script was missing some things, and I don't know. They just they, they just didn't capture the feel of the other movies quite with it. And and they know that they didn't because Spielberg said it much after the movie came out that he was yeah. you know hoping for a different result and. 
But that guy's a genius, so he cut him he some is. slack. You know? Absolutely. No, no doubt. You know what I like, too, is I, I like how Harrison Ford is sort of uh, tying up the loose ends on his career. Yes, he is. Like, just in all, in all, everything that he's done, he's kind of, like, stepping back in and being like, oh, I'm just going to make sure this wraps up well. Hannibal Street 2, anybody? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> no? I really liked uh, Blade Runner 2049. I, I don't think I had high expectations, but I... I enjoyed that movie. That I, was yeah. an excellent yeah. film. I loved it. I mean, you know, it, I, I don't... I have to re-watch the original Blade Runner. I mean, I've watched it several times. Um, but to me, it felt it felt comparable in my in my memory. Yeah, it is. I've yeah. I've seen it recently and seen the new one recently, and, and it is. They did a very good job. Yeah, uh, Chris, will you read? Um, I guess William Gibson. I know he. I know the comic has come out for Alien Three, his treatment of Alien Three. But I think there's a novel coming out as well, which to me is very interesting. For Alien Three. Yeah. Huh. I have not heard no anything idea. about a novel. He's working on uh, he's working on his new novel, and it's been pushed back to September. No, there's the there there is an Alien Three novel, the William Gibson version. I don't know if he uh, he's probably not writing all the prose. I don't think he'd be writing it. No, no, it's probably I cannot a novel. Imagine. Yeah, it's probably a novel have... based on on yeah. his, his treatment or whatever. Well, he wrote a full script. Yeah. I've got it. I've read it. Um, it. It's a good script. I think it's better than what they did, certainly, mm. for Alien 3. Um, I won't get but, into it, but I, I love Alien 3. I will champion that film. <laughs> I didn't hate Alien 3. I just think the Gibson script is better. And there was another cool one that took place on a wooden planet with monks. Yeah. That was oh, awesome. Logan! There we go. It wasn't I, I me. It monks. wasn't even oh me God. this time. No monks. We're out. We're done with the monks. <laughs> oh, monks. I, I cannot believe that that just got woven into this <laughs> Every episode. episode. <laughs> Every episode, there's monks. It's a good script. That is incredible. <laughs> oh, boy. So, all right. So, I'm going to fire off some quick questions at you you can kind of one word answer them uh we're going to try to keep the uh the chiming down from the peanut gallery uh to a minimum so we can get through them because uh, this is already running it to be a, a very very long episode right now which is yeah. awesome uh but i want to make sure we cover all the stuff that we should have done um all right so you ready i'm going to assault you with questions okay all right favorite conan story and why i'm gonna go with Tower of the Elephant because it has all the elements I like and and an elephant man and an elephant man. It's, <laughs> it's it it really explains Conan's character well. It does it succinctly. Um, I reread it again within the last I don't know three weeks uh, while I was working on the game books and it's a really well done piece of fiction. It's an adventure tale, um, but it has character. You understand the world it is inferred without having to be explained to you and info dumped over 10 pages. Um, I think it's an excellent piece of writing. And it's a great little heist story too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it is. And it's and the, the character from the get go is not your usual fantasy character. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the first thing he does is he kills a guy in a bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, this is the hero. Yeah, and all yeah. stories do start in the tavern, so there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, there's another trophy invented. Yep, that's, that's, a, that's trying, a good point. Uh, if, if you're trying to get a story published, don't start it in a tavern. No, <laughs> yes. not anymore. 
Not anymore. So, okay, um, your earliest sword and sorcery uh, memory or impression uh, that, that sort of, um, you know, set you on the genre? Oh, it's Conan. It's yeah. Conan the comic and the Ace books, basically cool. at the same time. I started buying the comic, and I'm like, this is awesome. I got to find out more about this. Found out about Robert E. Howard, bought those books, and then bought the original TSR Conan role-playing game. And then, then did some stuff and made it a career. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I spent fifth grade drawing D&D maps instead of learning fractions. So <laughs> I guess it worked out. That's all right. The paycheck comes with the decimal point, not in the fractions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will cleave your fraction. All right. So here we're going to uh, jump from the Conan stuff. What's your, no your favorite non-Conan sword and sorcery? I would say Nuon. Yeah, yeah I mean, you. I think that's that's really. Thank you. I think with priority <laughs> with with Howard. Very cool. Um, and again, it's got that weirdness. You know, it's got even deeper weirdness than some of Howard's weirdness, and I like that. And, and a little bit of com, of, a, a lot of comedy actually. I think it's it's yeah, more humorous. Yeah, it's comedic, and Lieber can put a sentence together. Yeah, and that's huge for me. Yep. Mm. Uh, how about? Your favorite Conan artist? Oh, Frazetta. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of figured. Favorite I, Conan I, I, artist not named Frazetta? <laughs> um, I like Kulada a lot. I like Brahms' interpretation. Uh, this guy, Froley and Gardner, that we got, does some mm. excellent work. Those would probably be my tops. Nice. Logan, Matt, do you have any that I missed? Uh... I would ask you, what is your favorite Conan pastiche story? Any medium? Uh, I'm gonna go with what is it called now? It was in it was in Savage Sword of Conan, and it's where he and Solomon Kane cross over through time. <laughs> uh, I really like that one a lot. Uh, yeah, that one. You that, like the time travel? Were, I do. I do. I like. I have this thing for like split narratives where there's two very different worlds going on. I like that. Um, and I did, I, I loved the Marvel comic. Everything Roy Thomas did, I really liked a lot. Some of those, you know, I just fell in love with. Well, and the, yeah. the, the time travel bit is not, I mean, it's, it's Howard anyways. Where yeah, right, Howard, exactly. McMorn. Yeah, Cull jumps forward and does a, he's like, yo, what's up, Bram McMorn? Let's wreck these dudes. Kill, and kill then some Romans. Go. <laughs> Pretty sure that's an exact quote, actually. <laughs> Uh, what about uh, the name of your next super secret project? The name of my next super secret project? Yeah. Uh, I can't. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think so, uh, but I had to try, right? <laughs> um, it's not Conan related, though. Oh, neat. Cool. I can say that. I think I know what it is, actually, but I, I won't say. <laughs> How really? secret is that? <laughs> yeah, super secret. Super well, there's familiar. a lot of stuff going on in Bodifius that hasn't been announced. So, yeah, that's Some awesome. It, there's going to be a few have... listeners who are going to be very excited to hear that. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff. I mean, it's it's uh, they're hiring on uh, the website for a reason. So, if you live in the London area, you like games, check it out because there is we have a large list of things that are going to be coming. Excellent, very good. And how can uh, people find you? You can find me on Facebook friend me 
I don't have my own website at this point. Maybe I will one day. Um, I'm Naked Sasquatch on Twitter. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took the title from an old TSR novel, actually. All That's right. Great. All right. Did you have to um, so, spell it funky at all, or did you really just get Naked Sasquatch? I, feel I like, got Naked Sasquatch. I feel like there might be a lot of people who are vying for that name. Yeah. <laughs> they might be now, but I got it. That's great. Yeah, so either one, if anyone wants to talk to me, just shoot me a message. Excellent. Cool. Um, so let's get into our last thoughts. Matt, do you have any last thoughts you want to throw out there today? I don't really. Uh, thank Chris for coming on. I mean, this was a fun conversation. Um, always good to to get, I don't know, to generally nerd out. Um, I feel like we're all pretty good at nerding out about these things, and uh, I am satisfied with, with what we have said and what we've talked about. Nice. Logan? Yeah. Man, no, I I do just want to thank Chris for taking the time. We had a couple technical difficulties, and he's been a champ, and it's awesome to hear hear what's going on in the the world that fans like me aren't privy to. Yeah, to see how the sausage is made a little bit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was gonna just gonna say Conan sausage, and then I didn't want to, and then I did anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the first thing that came. To mind. Yeah. Uh, we, we said Conan sausage. What If we could sell that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> would you really want another kind of sausage? If you went to the store and you had all these sausages and one had Conan on it, you'd buy the Conan. Yeah, you would buy it's Conan. It's time for sausage. Perilous Worlds to break out into the world of food distribution. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll bring it up. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you got the Gerber baby and Conan. <laughs> it's a natural. Yeah, that, there are not many uh, barbarian foods, so I think that that is, that's a, that is a niche market right there. Untapped. A joint of beef, a joint of beef, and a and a tankard of wine. That's that's yes. Conan food. Yep. Well, um, so I also want to say thank you. I want to thank you specifically for indulging me on a quick uh, war, war game and, and tabletop conversation. I thought that oh, was sure. pretty. And, and all that other stuff you said, too. But uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy always when I have a chance to talk to someone about a little bit of war gaming and miniature games. Um, so everyone who's listening, you know by now, you can always find us on our Facebook page. And you can email us at roguesinthehousecast at gmail.com. Uh, I want to also say thank you to the, to the folks that listen. Uh, your feedback is awesome. The community is growing, and it's awesome, and it's a lot of fun um, hearing everyone's thoughts. Uh, we work hard to try to give you something that's interesting, and I, we hope that you enjoy this. If you don't, then, you know. Let us Crumb know. Doesn't care. Crumb doesn't right. care. <laughs> communicate back. No, yeah, don't, don't communicate back if you don't like this. We, we know you're going <laughs> to like it. We know you're going to like the it. Guests. <laughs> we know you're going <laughs> to like it. Uh, <laughs> the next episode uh, will be 4.5 uh, because we do that whole decimal point thing. We don't use fractions. Well, that's so, good because yeah. I had to relearn them. I know. We don't, we don't do fractions. only I forgot them <laughs> right after I left. We only hang with the decimal points because none of us have learned fractions. Um, so uh, next one will be 4.5. Um, we actually have no topic for that yet. Uh, but we will think of something really cool and we will talk about it. Um, I think that just about wraps us up. Chris, any last words that you'd like to say? Chrome cares not. 
<laughs> Very good. And as we say here, may your swords always remain sharp. As Logan alluded to in uh, the episode, uh, we did have some technical difficulties. So uh, as a little Easter egg, we wanted to show you a little bit of what it sounds like when things fall apart and we lose internet connectivity. Oh, I think we might have lost just Matt. just Matt that went out? Yeah, I think we might have <laughs> yeah, lost Matt. It's like, uh, I think it's just Matt. <laughs> That's all right. We're going to have to. Did Alex go out too? Nope. He's frozen. Yeah, they're both frozen. Uh-oh. Wizard needs food. Yeah. <laughs>